Hello, Ledgers. Welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today, we catch up with Cub member Nicholas Robert Aldrich, the founder of Learning Vault. Learning Vault is Australia's only digital credential agency that is dedicated to helping people commit to lifelong learning. Rather than the old rigid education systems of the past, Learning Vault allows us to show digital certification of all the many programs we may take throughout our life whenever we decide to learn something new. Nick is an absolute expert in this field. We had a great conversation discussing the education industry as a whole, the players, the issues, and how we can use education and programs to benefit our businesses, our teams, and everything else that we do. Nick is an absolute legend. I had a fantastic conversation with him. I learned so much from it. I hope you will too. Enjoy the show. Hey, dude. Hey, man. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Welcome. Thank you. Um, have I ever told you that you have one of the coolest companies? Like, it's not cool like like rock star cool, but it's cool like that would be a cool thing to be able to do. Yeah, thanks, man. It's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's been a pretty wild journey, but it's, yeah, we're, we're very happy with what we've spent a long time building but sort of how it's all starting to play out now and and some of the pieces that we've put into the ether you know four or five years ago that are starting to come out now and correct me if i'm wrong but you actually certify courses so like you're like yep that's an official university course or that's an mba so so like we work with universities uh and and private training colleges and digitally bake their certifications in so when we say we're a certifications company, um, we work with the organization that is regulated. Um, so, you know, for a TAFE, for instance, they are regulated by the Australian Skills Quality Authority to be able to issue a certification. But we just digitally encrypt that certificate to make it portable and a verifiable oh, okay. instrument. So, so you don't do the actual certification, but you'll make the certification you digitalize it so that people can share it, show that they've done it, use it, and it's they know 100%. you know it's real. Like that's not a fake Harvard degree; that's a real motherfucking Harvard degree. Hundred percent. So, like to, to to play it out. So, we do a lot of work with membership organizations, right? Um, oh, so you can certify club membership. That's exactly what I was going to oh, say. Oh, we have to do that. How, I didn't, can't even believe we don't have that. So, so let's just say you know people put on LinkedIn that they're a member of Cub, and that's cool, and they should. But we can create like a Cub credential and then every member only has a valid credential for 12 months and then it expires uh, and then they renew and they get a new credential yeah so it's a way of proving that somebody is actually through an immutable truth because you daniel are the only person that can actually issue that credential and could you have like a stage one, like a year one credential, year have, two credential, yeah, so year seven credential now? Some members. So, so our our most technically sophisticated industry association has thirty seven different levels of membership, um, and I'm pretty happy if we don't find someone that's got that level of sophistication again. They've got sort of like honorary life members, multi year members, military members, student members, uh, you know, affiliate members, sponsorship members, et cetera. So what are the type of companies that do, obviously Cub is an easy example, but what, what are others? Universities? So so we work with universities, registered training organizations. So there's 4,030 of them. Uh, we work across K to 12. So primary schools, high schools, uh, vocational and technical colleges, university or higher education, uh, professional development uh, organizations are a big one. So where you have a CPD requirement, so a continuing professional development requirement. And what's the business model? So will you go to them like, um, is it like a project base? Hey, we'll build you your digital certification or is it a subscription based where, hey, long as long as you're Purely subscription us- based. So we have um, – some some organisations sort of uh, are, you know, do a thousand credentials a year, right up to we work with recruitment companies to um, certify a candidate. So let's just say that you know you're at ABC recruitment company. You have candidates that come through. You obviously do a wash of their resume. You might use a company like Referoo. Shout out to Neil. 
Um, and, and you might have all of your referees then reference checked using his software. Um, and then you might sort of go through a protocol of shortlisting. So you can actually bake a credential that holds within it all of the resume data, all of the reference data, and saying, hey, this candidate on this date was certified by us as a true and accurate record, and it's applicable for the next three months. But so you, so people's um, subscription to you would go up the more certifications they need. C- yeah, correct. So like, we'd say, okay, we bring in 360 to 420 uh, new members uh, per year. You'd say, okay, that falls into this category this is how much you pay per yeah that, that that's correct so at the at the lower volume end when you're looking at like a thousand credentials per year it's five dollars a credential mm-hmm. and then when you get up to uh some of the higher categories so in in the uk for instance we've got clients that do three million credentials a year okay we need and to start selling more memberships <laughs> <laughs> no they're, they're very much education institutes over there um that it comes down to, to to less than a dollar and how did you get into like how does one start credentialing people? Yeah, so it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty weird kind of story, and and I guess it comes back to the background of of when we started. So, um, Learning Vault was founded six years ago, and it was born out of my first company, which was a registered training organisation. So I had that for seven years, um, and we used to teach teach individual businesses and all of the staff within those businesses relating to, you know, hotel management or business or leadership. Um, and, and what we would do is facilitate to a very particular level to the point where it was not, oh, you have a diploma of management, you have a diploma of management from this company. And so our big point of difference was how can we prove that they've done it through us and not through someone else? Um, and we we sort of started creating a lot of digital learning materials and, and and things like that. And we had a pretty strong reputation with the the federal government, who was the regulator. Um, and some of our friends that also own training companies sort of came to us and said, "Hey, listen, we've just gone through an audit and we didn't get the result we're after. Can we just purchase all of your materials?" So we started down this process of well, if we actually prefer creating the experience, the education experience, and sort of being uh, around that process. Why don't we look at selling that? And so ultimately that's how Learning Vault started. So we started selling digital curriculums and to, learning experiences. To training companies. To training companies. So pretty much every TAFE on the East Coast is a client. We've got a lot of registered training organisations at private colleges. Um, universities and, and professional development organisations started coming to us and saying, hey, listen, we have a core, we, we want to write a course about this thing. And we do this thing really well. And we have subject matter experts on this thing, but we don't know how to build a course. Can you help us build a course? So we would build that course, and that's what we refer to as a micro-credential, so a short course. So I mean you could be like, hey, let's build some courses for members to upskill on different areas of business. A hundred percent. And we can do that. A hundred percent. And something ah, like Cub yeah. is brilliant because you actually have an ecosystem of subject matter experts. So, oh, we could even build courses per member. So, like, if you're an expert, if you're a member that's an expert in listing your company or selling a company or absolutely performance marketing, we can make their course available. Like, we can get their brain put it into a course and make it available to other members. Yeah, absolutely. That's like, awesome. Like, we've built some pretty eclectic shit over over time. So, we've written, um, you know, courses with subject matter experts uh, that you know. That subject matter expert has written the courses for you know AICD, CA, all around board governance and corporate structures. So she came to us and was sort of like, "Hey, I want to create a digital version of this." So so we worked with her, um, right down to the the crazy stuff. So we do you know obviously big bodies of work like for the NDS and and organisations like that at a government level, uh, but then you know mum and dad providers that have a small business that sort of go through multitudes of staff how can we digitize the onboarding process for new staff so we actually don't have to have to do any of that oh, so, so you could even do that make a course on onboarding someone into a company yeah massively ah that's cool we should even onboard i, I got to stop talking talking about having <laughs> this matter but we could onboard new members so like they go through the program this is what you need to know about CUB. This is, you know, this is the culture. It's what expected from all the members. Absolutely. You're complete. Welcome. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So and any company could do that really for, for their new members. Uh, sorry, for their new team members. 
Ah. We uh, are doing a body of work for uh, an organisation that uh, I believe is about to become a, a cub member and they're awesome. So they're a, uh, a blow-drying uh, salon, a hairstyling salon and bar um, and they want to be able to create to the exact same standard the onboarding of every single staff member that they, yeah. they have come so to the important. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah, so, so, so we assist in that. Um, the way that credentialing came up is we – we started working across these short courses that we were creating for some organizations. And they were sort of saying, hey, if I've created this particular program with my subject matter experts and we are the best people in Australia to be teach or the world to be teaching this particular thing, how can we actually say that we endorse this candidate, that we stand behind this candidate and we believe their training by us is more superior than anyone else? And it's sort of you've got a couple of options. You can become an accredited provider so you can go to the government and register, um, which they're like, we don't want to do that because it's too long, it's too much red tape and we literally want to have this course only go for 10 hours or 20 hours. Um, you can give them a, a, a document, so like a certificate, and they're like, no, that's trash. We want them to be able to be out in the market and, and showing people. Yeah, we, we don't want people just to see when they go into their office. Oh, 100%. Yeah, how can we? Email, um, signature, LinkedIn profile. Yeah, absolutely. So how can we have this asset that says what this person had to do, that says that we endorse what this person does? How can we do that? So, so then we started our digital credentialing journey. Um, and the use cases that we've sort of had over the last four years, you can almost digitally certify anything. So we try and maintain um, the ecosystem that we operate in being the knowledge acquisition and transfer space. So what does that ultimately mean? So anything that you ever learn, you can then prove its portability. So we work across K-12, to vocational, uh, technical, higher education, professional development, job readiness, uh, and em employment. So if you're, if you're a, um, you know, a headhunter or if you are a, a recruitment company, how can you easily understand what every single person has done and how can you actually put a candidate in front of a person and instead of going like, uh, here's the attachment to their resume, here's their attachment to their references and here's this and here's that. It's so literally one credential that they can then put publicly because a recruitment company doesn't mind if their name's all over that candidate um, to literally say, you know, we put this candidate forward and we fact-checked all of this and this is what it is. So, you know, we we work across. It's um, kind of like building, it's like a trust. Yeah. It's like a trust company. And yeah, largely it is. <laughs> so 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 with knowledge transfer, the, the thing is we form part of that conversation, but it's all about the issuer. So Cub will be the only person in the world that can issue a Cub credential. Um, and so the source of truth and its independent verification protocol says this particular member on this date at this time by this person being Cub has been issued this Cub credential. This is the date it expires. And they can put it, as you said before, on email, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Facebook. There's 178 ways of automatically sharing it through our platform. That's awesome. And and isn't that interesting though? Because you started in the um, um, well, what did you call it? The government course, yeah, registered training organisation, yeah, RT, RTO. They're, they're the ones that got. What, what was that situation at one point where uh, there were those training organisations that all got in trouble? They got shut down because they were yeah uh, government funded uh, thing. Yeah, I know a few guys that made a bit of money in it, but then the government jumped on it. I think some guy ran away with a hundred. Fifty million. I think the Wolf of Wall Street guy, Jordan Belfort, was involved. In yeah, one. look, it's it, it's gone through a period of time that uh, there was some there was definitely some rough and tumble in there. So there was the the vet fee help scandal. There was also a security scandal. Uh, so there was a college up in Queensland that was issuing certificates for to to people that had a security um, certification or license requirements. They could be bouncers and, and things like that. And it later found out that uh, no one actually sat the exam. No one did anything. Um, they literally just turned up for the day, paid their fees and got the certificate. So things like that. So we have um, certifications specifically for government institutions where, uh, you know, they can revoke automatically somebody if they if they know that they've 
sort of cheated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So Wasn't it gives it, that level of rigor. But I heard like there was one big scare. The one I'm talking about in the papers, I I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like the government was paying for people's or part of their tuition or their whole tuition, and so companies were basically just calling up randoms, being like, "Hey, I'll give you an iPad." Yeah, just, you know, 100%. say you're taking this course or whatever the, the, it was. The craziest one, so um, so that was the vet fee help scandal. That, so, that, is that what that's called? Yeah, yeah. so so we, um, we actually spent some time in Canberra trying to help the government reform that process, not just me and, and, and a couple of other RTOs as well. And it was at that conference that was put on uh, by the Australian Council of Private Education and Training Providers, which we remember, Um the craziest one that we heard was so so hex as it's colloquially known um has like a limit of like 100 grand it's less than that but it's very close to that um and so in your lifetime and it's a it's a brilliant structure so if you are committed to learning if you want to learn if you can't have access to funds to be able to learn the commonwealth will actually give you money or they won't give you money they will pay for the course for you and then through the taxation system, the more money you earn, the the faster you pay that loan back. So it's a good system. And the reason why it goes up up to that level is if you do a couple of different things throughout your lifetime, or if you're doing, say, medicine or, or you know, to the point you said before, the MBA. It's a lot of study. Yeah, you start getting pretty punchy up there with, uh, with university fees. So that's what it's built for. And there was a training company that was charging. So just to give you an average um, – <laughs> The company that I that I had at that time had uh, we, we would teach diploma of leadership and management or diploma of business, and we would charge about ten thousand dollars per student for that particular qualification, and that'd go for a year, fully online, fully supported, etc., etc., etc. And that's kind of the going rate. I think now it's about fourteen thousand uh, for an institution that is non-TAFE because TAFE is all funded or partially funded, um, but they were charging eighty-five grand for a diploma of, of business and you would get a Hyundai Getz and free shopping for a year. <laughs> so they were going to like low socioeconomic areas of people that were long-term unemployed that probably wouldn't actually meet the criteria to be enrolled in a course um, from a language literacy and numeracy standpoint and just sort of going like, oh, it doesn't matter, just just, just sign up. So Sign up, you'll get a car. The government gives them the 85 grand. The person never gets a job or if they do, it's probably not in the bracket that, that that's uh, going to pay it back very quickly anyway. And they run off with the remaining 60 grand. Yeah, so it was it was definitely a pretty <laughs> dark time. People are so funny. Yeah, and of course, you know, the 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 Wolf of Wall Street started doing some things up in uh, with, with another provider in Queensland. Yeah, I read there was an Indian bloke who left Australia Back, but went back to India with like 150 mil he, he ripped from the government. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what <laughs> yeah, that's happened. What happened yeah, it? yeah. Look, there, it's there absurd. Are, there, I, I Poor think, government. I think what I found quite interesting is a lot of people that were part of like the pink bat scandal uh, immediately sort of went from being insulation installers to like RTO owners. What's pink? What's the pink bat? Do you, do you remember years ago there was like pink a… Pink bats, you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the the insulation in roofs. Like the government oh, was putting yes. all of this funding into to all of these people. So these people are just sort of like, oh, cool, we'll get a team of door knockers to go around and like, you know, we'll, we'll make all of this money. And, of course, a couple of years in, massive issue, heavily rorted system, all the rest of it. We started seeing a lot of people that had been part of those kind of schemes. <laughs> Apply the same concept over it, it, well, yeah, education. They would, they would literally go from like, oh, I'm a professional insulation installer to I now run a professional training company. I can, <laughs> I have those transferable skills. So, so look, it was a really interesting time. I think it was good because it purged a lot of training companies uh, that sort of weren't in it for the right reasons. It definitely hurt a lot of good training companies. Yeah, I can imagine. But um, long term, like what you said, I, I'd, I'd imagine that it was good because it wiped out a lot of the ones who actually weren't passionate about what they do. Good business, in my opinion, is impacting the world in a positive way. And to, to make that happen, the people behind the business actually need to be passionate about what they're doing. You know, and and if there's businesses where the person's in it for the dollar as opposed to uh, being passionate about what they do, or even just helping people in general. Um, uh, they, they, well, A, they're always going to cut, cut corners. It's always going to end up with a bad result. For the, but you're better off them fucking going, leaving. And, and I mean, that's one way to do it. I mean, recessions are another way to do it. Uh, not that they only impact 
the scumbags, but the scumbags might be less inclined to weather the storm. <laughs> They're like, yeah, I'll figure something else to do. Massively, like we just from just from like an education ecosystem perspective, I I have to say anyone that's a training organization at the moment and still holds their current license to be a training provider, they are probably the most premium companies that are yeah, out there. Top class. Absolutely. Because, you know, we've gone through COVID where they've seen a lot of students decrease uh, in terms of training. They've had to rapidly augment a model. So they may have gone from teaching face-to-face and having that mentoring component to doing all of that digitally. Um, a lot of the funding has gone for a period of time um, and all international students literally went home. So for the organisations out there that do have their training licence still and are now starting to see all of the green shoots come back, it's super rewarding to be working with them because you know that they've just gone through hell yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're now at the bottom of the hockey stick waiting for it to, to, to just go up. And, and I guess what are you passionate – why do you love what you do? What, what makes you passionate about it? So and, I, and what's your vision for the company? What, 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 you know, what, what do you want it to become or – yeah, no, for, for sure. So so my passion comes from understanding the impact that education can have. Um, so when I was when I was younger, um, I found education quite hard uh, because I was diagnosed as having scotopic sensitivity quite late in life, which is a form of dyslexia. So I got diagnosed with that in year 10. Welcome to the club, my friend. Yeah. And it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a club half I wouldn't me- change. Half the members are dyslexic. Yeah, I exactly. It's, Everyone I speak to in this club is dyslexic. It was great because you start thinking about things completely differently. So uh, I'm a horrible reader. You've got a question uh, that you asked me before about what's your favourite book. It's pretty much anything Richard Branson or Lord Alan Sugar because they're the only things that I will literally persist through. Um, read emails obviously all the time for work and, and, and all the rest of it. So I'm very proficient now, um, but I just don't like doing it in my spare time. Mm-hmm. Um, but So how do you from, learn from an, your courses? Sorry, sorry, get no, back to No, no, so, so that's exactly what I was getting at. So like when I was in year 10, so school was definitely not for me. So I've always been very young entrepreneur. Um, my parents wanted me to stay through to year 12, so I did. And I got accepted into university on merit for hotel management. Um, so anything that I listen to, anything that I see, I remember quite well. I wouldn't say eidetic, that's crazy, but like it just resonates with me. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty good like that. Uh, so when I was at university, I just sort of thrived off all of the lecturers and tutors. I I went to a, uh, a hotel specific university. So I have a bachelor of business in hotel management. Um, and so hospitality was always a passion for mine um and so i just literally listened to everything understood everything implicitly apart from accounting i did that twice um and i come from a family of accountants um but everything else like i just got like it just made sense to me so i started working in hotels worked my way quite fast up the ladder worked uh for a core hospitality um and looked after 184 hotels for quality um related sort of reasons had a team of 12 and what we would do is do trend analysis on properties that were sort of not revenue efficient or starting to get guest complaints or quality was slipping. And we would analyze what has fucked up in the hotel for that to change. And then we would literally go into that property or advise that property what training they needed. So whether that was like, okay, housekeeping needs to literally review their standards or the reason why that's fallen apart is because you've had an 80% churn in your housekeeping teams. So no one knows those standards. So you need to reteach all of those standards and make that happen. Your front office team is falling apart because you've employed a couple of people and no one really knows how to use the systems. No one's really teaching customer care anymore. You're basically analyzing the business. Yeah, you, you analyze the business and then you literally figure out the problem and then you deploy training as the change agent. So in order to elicit a change in this area of a hotel, training needs to adopt here. And so I literally did that for years, not even thinking that it was training, just with like my my team of guys. Uh, And then the global financial crisis happened and the entire team was made uh, redundant because it was a non-revenue generating department. It Mm. would save hotels on a a full-blown, you know, top-line structure. We would help the business by, by turning it around. 
But, you know, when, when you're in a downturn and you're trying to save money, this is a department that doesn't produce revenue uh, on, on a budget. Um, so then I started hating what I was doing and I hated what I was doing because, like, I didn't have a team of sort of going, cool, this person needs that person's help uh, and all the rest of it. So really reflected on what I wanted to do and I'm just sort of like, no, I think the power of education is really important. Is that because you noticed the impact it would make on the staff that you were training in those organizations? You were like, shit, this is working. So maybe I want to keep doing this. I obviously enjoy doing it. So so we would we would literally see the top ten the, the lowest ten percent of hotels in terms of results over a six month window with all of the right onboarding training and support would then be in the top thirty percent of performing hotels thereafter. So when you're starting to see it over 184 hotels, a pattern starts to emerge of just sort of like, this is a relatively linear process. Like if you can identify where an issue is coming from and you can rectify that issue, then over a preceding window, all of that is going to increase, which then relates to top line and bottom line uh, and, and all the rest of it. You know, if people are feeling supported in their role and feel competent, they typically don't leave. And, and you know, so it has effects on all of these areas of the business. Um, so I just sort of thought I want to stress test the fact that uh, this isn't something that I've just kind of stumbled upon. Um, so I went back and studied to become an adult teacher, um, went and started working for what a- What do you mean adult teacher? So, so when you go to university, you can choose to do education and education is, can be kindergarten to year six. So primary school, or it can be secondary school, or it can be oh, like okay. university, or you can be like an adult. So it's called like a vocational trainer. Um, so it doesn't make sense because, I mean, training me at this age can be very different to training me at 16. Hugely <laughs> yeah. different. Hugely different. Um, I still wouldn't fit in the adult bucket, but, <laughs> but I'd be at least uni. <laughs> 100%. Um so I went and did that and then uh, went and worked for a registered training organization. And I'd gone from a super structured militant environment, you know, had a massive budget, needed to put through requisition for like a box of pens through to an organization that the organization didn't have a budget. So not the department, not the group, like the entire company. Um, and the the CEO who I was very good friends with and still am, she works with me now. Uh, as a as a subcontractor, her and I just got on really well. But I'm just sort of like, listen, you know, you want me to teach this kind of curriculum? That's cool, but this hotel has problems here, here, and here, so we need to be fluid and flexible. Um, and I ultimately just decided there there wasn't enough flexibility there, so that's when I created my own training company. Okay, and yeah. we would literally do that same philosophy of go into a hotel or go into our business because we then started doing it like for corporate businesses as well. It's interesting though to see how people get to their own business. Like you didn't know you like training, you're in you're you're actually in hospitality. Then you realize you realize oh, I enjoy doing training in hospitality. You left that business, you went into it so you went into a training business. Then you realized oh maybe there's not enough flexibility, maybe you thought you could do it better, whatever the reason is. So you just jumped the next step. You went, okay, I'm going to do it myself. Like it's always a funny pattern to your own business. I actually had a question just before I sure. forget. Um, because you were analyzing so many um, uh, hotels, I mean, they're all, they're all businesses and businesses have uh, a lot of commons. Um, what, was, what, were, what were the typical, um, what were the made or most common reasons hotels were doing bad? Like what, what was causing most regularly the issues or, or underperformance? Uh, literally departments. So you can see departmental trends. So whether it's housekeeping, food and beverage team, front of house team, so reception, uh, maintenance team. So uh, really what you're saying kitchens. is it, the people. So it, the people within Every, those. Everything largely from a metrics perspective can go down to people because if – so the reporting that we would do would take into account trend analysis and regional analysis – so let's just sort of say in in Western Australia, a lot of the hotels there, especially up the north, um, have some of the highest average room rates of anywhere in Australia. Uh, and that's largely because of the mining that was going on at that time and, and the availability of, of rooms. So if that completely fell off and was worth, you know, 
let's say an average room night of $400 down to an average room night of 100 that becomes an alarm bell. But then when you actually say, okay, well, it was over December and January, and it's sort of like, okay, well, the mines largely are, uh, you know, taking time off over Christmas, so there's less fly-in, fly-out traffic. There's more people, um, you know, staying in in their own accommodations, etc. So that's not an area or a flag. But when you start seeing a decrease in people wanting to stay at a hotel and an increase in complaint activity relevant to particular departments, that's when you start looking at a trend analysis and going, okay, there's something wrong here. And then there are other metrics that you can start to peel back as well. And so how can people like myself um, look at their businesses in that matter? Like what's the process you'd take to look at a business and be like, okay, what problems are there? Yeah, um, great, great question. So surveys a lot. Like ultimately to do proper trend analysis, you need to have data points. So survey your clients or your team? Both. Figure out what's working well, what's not working well. You know, we we find typically – uh, in in other businesses that I've had, uh, when we introduce new staff to the organisation, typically there is a period of unrest and then uh, everything rests again. And that just follows like a standard change management protocol. No one likes change. Um, you know, staff are human beings. Uh, and so there's this like defensibility position when new people come in, there's then an agitation period where new people sort of trying to find where they fit and then there's, uh, oh, okay, I'm not feeling threatened, this person's here to support and help me, therefore it goes back. Um, so something like that is relatively normal. Whereas if the agitation period for your existing staff and your new staff doesn't go away, then you can tell that there's a problem and by having anonymous surveys and things like that, you actually get real data. If, if anyone has to tether their name to it or come and talk to you personally, you're never going to find out because no one wants to sort of be that person. So you should provide your team, even I guess feedback on yourself as a leader, you should maybe give your team the ability to uh, – do, do you have a recommended uh, survey tool that you – So so we, we are like – so there are systems. They're called learning management systems uh, and they're platforms. We're agnostic to those, so we operate across a multitude of them. Um, and so at different points of time, we will literally just be stress testing those. And so I'll have Andy, who's our creative director, do a survey on something on one of those new platforms. What? So we literally just get that data. Laura, we just did a survey. What, what did we use? Typeform. Is Typeform one of the ones you use? Um, yeah, we've used that. We've used SurveyMonkey. We've used like literally – uh, in structure has some, Atlassian yeah. has some, like oh, there's okay. just there's there's heaps. There's heaps because but, but you can do them anonymous. So my point was like I could send uh, all the cub team, guys, this is going to be a completely anonymous survey. I want you to uh, complete it. It's about me. Um, we're, I'm going to ask different questions on different elements of leadership and of, of the company, of the culture, of everything. Um, uh, I, and I'm going to use this feedback to improve not just my leadership but the company as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. And, absolutely. and and just make it anonymous is, is, is a key element. Yeah, making it anonymous is the key element. And the second element that I would sort of say is asking the same question completely differently a couple of different ways in the same thing so that you're definitely getting the answer that that person believes. So asking the same question in a multiple different ways means that you are validating what that person is actually saying so that they know that their answer is correct, if that makes any sense. Is that why, yeah, you know, that's happened to me a few times. You know when you do those personality tests and the, mm -hmm. I can't remember what they're called, but I've done maybe three of them, and you end up doing like, you know, each page kind of has a similar question and you're like, what's going on? Didn't I just answer that? And you answer it again, but yeah. they obviously – that's what they're doing. They're confirming that you're not – you didn't answer once that way. You, you've Correct. You've done it every time. Correct. So it's it's reconfirming a thought that you have to make sure it's, one, your own thought, and two, it's a thought that you actually believe, which I know sounds really stupid, but but it's actually really important. And you'll find that most sort of satisfaction surveys have things like that as well, especially if they're multi-page. Um, and it's so that you can stand behind the answers that you get so nothing's skewed. Mm. And the education market at the moment. Mm -hmm. what's the what's the state of it because the world's kind of a cool place now like you've got a lot of options to learn yeah i mean it's an endless amount of learning like you don't need uh, i mean you don't even need to go to university anymore uh, I, I wish i did so i'm don't want to 
bag on university because that'd be the only regret I have in my life is I didn't get a degree, which I wish I did. But but um, what degree do you wish you got? Oh, didn't get well. GQ asked me once. They said if you were gonna, they said if you were gonna get a degree, or what degree would you say is the most um, uh, important? That would you would you recommend would be the most important for uh, for young people today? And I thought about it because obviously I was gonna say business at first, and you know I do think that because I just think it's good to good to learn that stuff, and I, I just think business skills are life skills. You know, if you're good at business, you're probably pretty good at life as well. But but. Um, but I ended up saying psychology. And the reason was, Strong. yeah, it's just like life's about people. It's about understanding how to deal with people, getting people to do what you want, doing what people, providing people what they want, um, uh, knowing how to sell to people, knowing how to handle the complaints. And that. It, life's just about dealing with different people. And that's what business is about. It's about understanding someone, communicating to them through marketing, providing them a product or service that, understands who they are and fulfills one of their needs. Everything's just about people. And I just thought, well, something that's – everything's going to change. You're going to have technology. You're going to have new social norms that, you know, that, that they seem to be popping out of fucking everywhere these days. You don't know what's fine to say, what's not. You, all these things changing all the time. But one thing that's not changing is human beings. We can't evolve that fast. No. So so that was my answer. And I, I – I um I still stand by that. <laughs> yeah, it's a strong answer. Yeah. It's uh, it completely makes sense. Um, mm. you, you start looking at some of the best uh, business experts, business analysts. You know, I'm pretty certain Simon Sinek has a degree in psychology. And it makes sense because all he talks about is how humans operate. Yeah, that's that's the entire relationship. And even like think about it on like um, like your family in accounting. Or even like my old man. My old man's great with numbers. Uh, that's he loves finance. But I think he would have benefited from uh, doing a psychology degree. <laughs> you know, like massively. Because, yeah, because one thing's about knowing the the numbers and being able to do all of that. But if you're naturally good at that, you can learn that anyway. And you can you you're, you're probably going to be more inclined to actually fulfilling that in your business anyway, or in life anyway. And but but the psychology aspect just gives you. A, a, it's just the most, in my opinion, essential layer. No matter what, you, whether you're marketing this psychology anyway, uh, accounting maybe it's not, but you need to understand psychology and reasoning. It's going to enhance your ability to to, to, to leverage numbers. You know, yeah, m- massively because you know the numbers are the one point, but you know if you've got a budgeting, uh, you know, issue that you need to get across the line and present to a board, etc., you're dealing with people. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got a fact and it's and that's how exactly. you Exactly. Yeah. But to my point, um, these days you don't need to go to uni. You can literally find some of the best courses for free or paid all over the internet. It could be on YouTube, could be uh, these master classes that there are. There's just so much information out there. Sometimes I can actually see why the education industry, it, it kind of also, and like in my head, I hope it verbalize this correctly but it, there's so much information that it kind of needs to be a bit more organized so you know where to go for it and and i guess that's kind of what you do you know like it it helps with that yeah so so to to answer a question that you asked uh, a, a little while ago about the state of the world as as education exists and it's a pretty exciting time and it's a massive time of change um, and so to, to your point around uh, university enrollments, registered training organisation enrollments and, and, and things like that, it's interesting, right? So the the world of work has somewhat changed. Um, you know, on average we will have 12 careers, 32 jobs. Uh, we will spend on average $238,000 per year – sorry, $238,000 on our lifetime in education – uh, not including private school, uh, oh right? So, so the average human being. So this is all from Holland IQ. Wait, the um, average human has thirty-two jobs. Thirty-two jobs. So twelve careers in their lifespan will have thirty-two jobs. This is from from Holland IQ. What's uh, that? It's like some sort so, of. So, so they are a education, a global education think tank. Okay. Um, that that helps informs universities and and providers across the entire ecosystem. Big provider of information. Massively, massively, uh, and they have awards and and and, and all of these things. Um, 
but when you actually start to then reflect on the world of education, there's still this concept and construct of, so we're going to finish school, then we're going to do a three-year degree. Then if you want to do other programs off the back of that, they'll take between one year and two years. It's no longer actually reflective of actual life exactly it's not it's it doesn't you're not going to have a job for 30 years yeah it doesn't so you you, you're not going to stay in one path yeah so or people aren't most people aren't no they're not um i mean even you you started in hotel management and somehow ended up in the training organization certification yeah exactly um so so the thing that we find that's super amazing right now is the ability for some of the front runners. So there are some universities out there that we are doing some consultancy work with around this thing that's called micro-credentials. So micro-credentials is a short course, the easiest way to define it. Um, the rapid acquisition of uh, knowledge, proficiency or skill. Uh, so that can be 10 hours, 50 hours, 100 hours, et cetera, as opposed to like a three-year program. And what we are starting to see is people ultimately having like a choose-your-own-adventure so they might say, you know what, I want to change roles, the role that I want to go for. I need to have an understanding of leadership. I need to have an understanding of communication. I need to have an understanding of psychology. And I need to understand how I can do reporting. So instead of trying to do a degree that has all of those subjects in there, what they'll do is they'll go to an institution recognized or not. So I mean, instead of a university, they might go on to some of the platforms that exist on online. Um, so, and then there are so many of them as you touched on and you might say, okay, I'm going to do this 20 hour course on, uh, leadership diversity and understanding how to lead effectively. I'm going to do a short course in coaching others in job skills. I'm going to do psychology 101 and I might do that from, you know, Harvard. Uh, and then I might do, uh, you know, this other course over here. So suddenly I've literally got the best possible programs that I can get at a ability for me to rapidly acquire that knowledge at a fraction of the cost. And if they're all digitally certified, I can literally have them as an immutable instrument. So I can literally provide that to an employer and they can say categorically, they can look at the credential and say, this was a 15 hour course from Harvard. Here are the things that they learned. Here are the things that they're capable now of doing. Here's the assessment modality. Here's how long it's valid for. That's that's powerful. It's massively powerful that because powerful. the big thing that I think a lot of people don't understand, and this is one of the problems we are trying to solve, is how portable knowledge can be. So let's just say 10 years ago we did this particular program and we get uh, this awesome, shiny, sexy certificate. We pop it in the car, we drive home, we put it somewhere really safe, and then we can't ever fucking find it again. Right. And then we're going for a job in the future. And you're like, I swear to God, I did it through like Penn University or one of these universities. I, but I can't find the certificate. That's fine. I'll just write it down. Right. Or worse still, you forget that you've done it. So, you know, we were talking with a recruitment company the other day, and, and she was saying her biggest pain point is sitting down with clients and teasing out the experience that they've actually got. Cause they'll be like, here's my resume. Here are my, here, here are my qualifications. It's like, cool. Have you done? any training at all in like diversity and it's like no and in 10 seconds that'll be like actually at my last job we had to do this three-day workshop with this independent company and did you get certification for that? yeah i got a certificate somewhere i don't know where it is okay but imagine if they're all in one repository or wallet or passport right and you can literally prove straight away how long ago you did it it doesn't matter if it's expired so you know let's say you have an expired first aid the role that you need might not need you to have a current first aid, but as an employer, I can sort of go, that's cool. You have some form of understanding of first aid, even if it's not current thinking. And, and, and so where is this wallet of this wallet of certification? So some might even go so far, Dan, as to call it a learning vault. Mm. Um, so so all of- <laughs> that's actually fucking genius. Right? Yeah. So we're probably one of the only companies that exists that grew so into their name. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, just to be really candid with you, Learning Vault was founded before we actually started walking down digital credentials. So mm-hmm. don't want people out there to think it's a stroke of genius. It's just quite fortuitous. Um, so no, so we work with governments, both domestically and internationally, federally and state. Um, 
around the portability of credentials. Because if we're looking at this construct of lifelong learning, which we're um, thought leaders in and, and adamant about being part of, then it can't actually be confined to a system. So any person that gets issued a credential can interact with it in a learning vault. They also get it via email, but they can put it into any complying repository. So interoperability standards are really important. At the request of our government, I can't say which one because, you know. But you're kind of describing a bit, it's kind of like decentralizing education where you can so it's, choose. so it's web three so it's all you so if, you, if i if you get issued say you go to abc organization mm-hmm. and they issue you a digital credential you get emailed that and it's yours so you can choose to interact with it in your learning vault you might want to put it in your service new south wales app with your driver's license you might want to put it in your cryptocurrency wallet the ability for you to interact with it and do with it however you please is completely yours so we're starting to do that across high schools, like the, the entire spectrum of education. The common theme is everyone can automatically have access to their repository being Learning Vault. But the idea is you can take the credentials out of there. You can put credentials in there. So, for instance, the Singaporean government, they have a credentialing architecture that they've built uh, and it complies with the standards. So you can take a Singaporean credential from their environment and put it straight into ours and vice versa. Kind of like when, I mean, I don't know if this would entirely solve the problem, but it's it would help it. It's like when um, migrants move to a country, they were a lawyer in one country and they come to another. Like a lot of people came to Australia, they were a lawyer and now they're a taxi driver um, because the, the education didn't transfer over. Mind you, that... Is not entirely transferable because different countries have different laws and whatnot. But but you know what I mean? It's kind of relevant. Hundred percent. So if if we if we unpack this further, so we're doing a body of work with um, uh, the UN in Brussels relating to um, a construct that they've created um, for credentialing, and they have what's called self attestation, uh, which hasn't really worked well for them. So that is, you can say, "Hey, I'm Dan. I've done this, 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 and this," and you can put that into a credential. The problem with self-attestation is it's not from a source of truth. So the issuer is you. So you can largely say whatever you want. Which would just not work. Exactly. One, because they're scumbags. But two, because people think they're smarter than they actually are. Yeah, like 100%. 100%. Um, And and so we're looking at at providing them, you know, like powering their architecture over there so that uh, everything within that repository is – independently attested by the issue. But, but if we start thinking about the, 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 the horrible conflict uh, overseas and we start thinking about mass exodus from a country due to, um, you know, uh, something horrible being inflicted on them and obviously don't want to get too far into that, um, but no one would have taken any of their credentials. No one because mm-hmm. why would you? But if they're in a repository online that you could access, you've got everything with you. We have a staff member who who was in Ukraine. Uh, She's currently resettled in Germany, which is fantastic. But obviously the only thing that she took was laptop bag family, which is, you know, family most important. I love how family was third. (laughs) (laughs) Laptop first. (laughs) Um, No, but I know what you mean. And it's a powerful thought. It's it's, um, it's, – Allowing people to yeah, to carry their credentials. Credentials are are in are, are, are in the cloud in in the internet, and, and you can you can um, showcase what you've got. And I like that idea you're saying of lifelong learning. It's not like the old days where you would get a carpent, you do your carpentry apprenticeship, and then go into carpentry, then get your whatever gives you a carpentry degree, and then be a carpenter. You know, now yeah. you might do that for two. Now you might do that for um, uh, carpentry for three years, and then be like, you know what? I feel like learning how to code, you know, and and that's what you guys are doing. You're really like you're helping the education system adapt to the modern way of living. Yeah, we're we're working with people that that do their own thing really well and helping them make that the the knowledge portable behind that. You know, you have to meet. There's a few members you should meet, but there's one lady. She I've done a podcast with her as well. She's a friend of mine, obviously a cub member. Her name is Michelle Hext. You have to meet Michelle. She Very she does she does she she's an expert. She creates her own 
um, courses, like her own high ticket programs. She sells them for big money, like thirty grand, forty grand. Awesome. Uh, yeah, she's such a cool lady. You should listen to her episode. It's it's one of the it's one of my favorite episodes. Michelle Hext is her name. She's a Melbourne member, but you should meet her because I'm sure she'd want to certify, uh, you know, have some sort of certification in her courses and that type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we Laura keeps waving to me because we are out of time. But the other thing is, I own a, um, a domain. That's called well, – the domain is mindlibrary.com. We should do something with that domain. I've always been looking for something to do with it. I spent a lot of money on it. I don't know. I saw it. I was like, fuck, that's awesome. I'm going to own Mind Library. Oh, like, like massively. Like yeah. one of the things that, you know, wasn't relevant to this conversation. But, you know, we actually have 600 micro-credentials uh, on all different topics that we provide under White Label. So, ah. so companies can come to you, use your courses and – I love that name, micro credential. Credential. So it's a short course. You mean. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's a term that's used globally now that's called micro credential, mm-hmm. and it's a category of programs. But ultimately, it means short course. Yeah, and how short con- constitutes micro? Uh, so, so that is at a governmental level a very expensive question to ask. Um, but we define uh, we define it as it must be a minimum of two hours. And can go up to 200 hours. Okay. Um, so 200 hours typically are like your university courses. Two hours or more, your introductory to using a thing. Uh, most of the stuff's around 10. Okay, cool. All right, man. Well, thank you so much. I mean, we normally finish with a book recommendation, greatest lesson you don't read. So <laughs> greatest <laughs> lesson or, or favorite quote or something like that. Do you want to leave uh, the listeners with something? Yeah, sure. Like uh, the my greatest business lesson is uh, always get what is it? always get someone to double check the first invoice you write with your bank account details. <laughs> <laughs> you learned that the hard way. I have fifty thousand dollars learned the hard way. <laughs> that actually is a fantastic. Lesson. <laughs> no, right. Yeah, if you yeah, can save just one person, yeah. Yeah. If you can save just one person from making that mistake. You've done good for this world. I just remember every single day logging into the account, going like, "Oh, where's this fifty? Because it was like to, to to pretty much hire my first staff member, and I'm like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? It was a really good client, um, and I'm just sort of like, I don't understand. And I'm following up, and I'm like, I don't mean to be rude, but like you told me your account team has got it. And she's like, Nicholas has been paid. And I'm like, bullshit. Like it hasn't. Anyway, I open it up, and I'm just going like, one, one, two. Oh. <laughs> so I called the bank and they're like, ever. don't, don't worry, that bank account doesn't actually exist. So oh, we'll return. Lucky. And I was just sort of like, ah, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> it's great. Um, no, that's yeah. perfect. And uh, to the listeners, if you want to find out more about Nicholas Robert Aldrich, you can go to club.club forward slash podcast and you'll find it there. If you want to get in contact with him, which I'm going to imagine a lot of people probably would based on what, what, um, uh, what Learning Vault does and just the amount of, um, capabilities you have like i'm going to probably talk to you right after we hang out but <laughs> but um and i know many members will but uh, you'll you can connect with him uh, through there um if you want to catch up with cub on social media it's at club united business on instagram it's awesome nick thank you so much my friend thank you so much it's been great i hope you enjoyed the show